When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about, you guessed it, free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash chels and cover just the postage of four ninety five. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Chels podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Chels to get your case free. And don't forget right now, the Chels podcast listeners get two extra free beers. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chels. Hmm, well, this is a strange one. I think this is the first podcast we've done when we don't have to talk about a game that's just been or just coming up. Um, We all know why. We're in a a very strange time. We're all adjusting to new ways and new thoughts and understanding hour by hour what's going on and, and how we should deal with it. Uh, football, of course, has not been unaffected, um, and a lot of us will be suffering without any sport whatsoever. Uh, a man who I know will not know what to do with himself because he spends 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year just watching sport at any hour he's awake is Mr. Andy Saunders. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm confused, um, but, you know, we've got to deal with these sort of things. And, um, you know, we thought that it'd be good to have a chat together, didn't we? And uh, That's what it is, isn't it? It's a chat. We're freestyling. We don't have any script. We don't have any uh, sort of plan on what to talk about. We're just going to talk, aren't we? So this might be deathly dull. It might be interesting. It might be might take us down some, some strange rabbit holes. But uh, I think it's good to talk. And I would say that generally about everybody in in these periods of, you know, we've heard this expression isolation a lot, self-isolation. It's always good to talk and and listen and and communicate. So that's all we're trying to do. We can't really talk about football because there hasn't been any football to talk about, but we'll talk about some of the context around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, you know, when it started dawning upon us that the world was a very different place, I mean, really, the week that we had uh, previously with uh, Liverpool and Everton games, there were real grumblings amongst people that, oh, this could all be stopped. Things might, you know, develop into something else. Um, But I don't think anyone understood 
from that distance how quickly suddenly things moved upon us and are still moving upon us uh were you shocked the moment that suddenly because it started off oh well this game might be behind closed doors or that game might be oh that game might be off and i guess the first marking point in this country for people to understand uh what was going on was when Mikel arteta uh was diagnosed as positive and actually um, people almost didn't notice that the second person to be diagnosed uh, and the first actual footballer in this country was Callum Hudson-Odoi. Yeah, it, it was It was a, an odd couple of days, really, because I'd been feeling pretty uneasy about going to games anyway, about the, about the you know, the, whether it was sensible or not to be putting that many people in, in that, that close, at that close quarters, um, and not just in the stadium, but... But, you know, on the public transport leading up to the stadium and those people touching hard surfaces when they were ordering catering or using the bathrooms or just generally, you know, the turnstiles, whatever it was, it just didn't seem particularly safe or, or good. And I had tickets to go and see Villa on Saturday and I'd already made a decision, I think, by that point not not to go because it, it just didn't seem appropriate. And then I was in the the virtual waiting room on on Friday morning, the 7am queue for Leicester away tickets, because I thought, well, who knows what's going to happen? It was all up in the air by that point. I'll get get some tickets, you know, if I can, if I I get through, Um, because at that point they were saying, we don't know what's going to happen. And then one minute to 7am, 6.59am, a a big red notice came up on on the holding page. It just said these tickets will not be going on sale at this time. And this is after we'd heard about Mikel Arteta and Callum Hudson-Odoi and all the dots started to join up or the jigsaw pieces started to come into place and you're thinking, actually, this this is all going to be closed down now. Um, By this point, the government hadn't banned large large gatherings. It It was being left up to the football authorities to do that themselves. And clearly, once the Premier League uh, fixtures had had been put on hold, everything else was going to fall into place like dominoes. And and so it has been all the way down to youth football. All youth football games are off now. All uh, amateur games are off. All uh, lower league uh, games are off. And, And as you say, sport in this country is ground to a halt. And also, I guess for a lot of people, it was almost an intangible sort of world because everything was happening elsewhere and you know there were a couple of cases in this country then it went to 10 sort of stayed around there for quite a while and then suddenly it doubled and it's now going up and up uh, and people are starting to get affected by it i mean uh, as you know my, my wife jackie she went off to spain for a, a birthday weekend last thursday to bilbao and uh then landed there found the lockdown was happening they were in the guggenheim museum in bilbao which was one of the world's greatest tourist attractions and the staff came up to them and said just to say don't hurry um but you're the only people here do carry on looking around enjoy the museum but when you're going we're closing the museum and suddenly it dawned on her when she phoned me to say this is really kind of surreal to to tell me how how this was all affecting them and, and where they were. It, it was a really strange time, and then she ended up caught up in this lockdown. She waited at the airport for the the plane on Sunday night from Bilbao back to the UK. Waited seven hours, and then they said, "Yeah, there's no more flights. That's tough." Um, she missed the the bus that took them to the hotel supposedly because she heard about it raced outside and it was just pulling off only a few yards in front of her and they refused to stop the bus or tell her where her hotel was um and uh, she was like really in trouble because the rest of uh, family and friends the other four she went with were all heading back down to malaga she turned round and suddenly there were all her family and friends who she'd been with all weekend because their flight had been cancelled. So they didn't know what to do. There's no hotels to stay at. They ended up finally, just as the guy was putting up the shutters on a car hire place, he had a car left and they managed to get it. They drove through the night and ended up in Malaga. Amazing. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that the, um, you know, that the, the situations that people have found themselves in. I mean, I've got a friend who's currently in Spain. He went over on a cricket tour. He can't get back. There's 14 of them 
you know, sitting by a pool in 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 Malaga, you know, just wondering wondering what they're going to do. My son was in uh, France over the weekend. He only just kind of got back, uh, you know, on on Sunday morning. My other son was in New Zealand on his honeymoon. He flew in uh, on Sunday morning. It's worrying. I, mean, I think we're all looking at our our elderly parents and grandparents. We're looking at you know those those friends of ours that are compromised health wise. Uh, and, and we're all sort of a lot of us are thinking we're bulletproof and we're not and and I think that this goes back to this idea of whether we should be congregating in large groups because it's not about us it's not about whether we could get ill I'm a reasonably fit middle-aged bloke you know who runs a bit and looks after himself and I don't really have any underlying health problems I'm a bit of asthma but it's not serious um, but it's not about me it's about whether I get it and give it to someone else and I think this is this is what's kind of missing at the moment is this idea that the reason we're isolating is not to give it to each other and I, I'm not happy with the way that the authorities are dealing with it at the moment I'm not happy with the way that we are um, as a country implementing social distancing like other countries are I understand the arguments I see the arguments I question the data I question the modeling and I think the Premier League particularly did a very good thing by taking a unilateral stance on it and closing it down and actually football clubs are behaving quite well I think in in the face of this and putting their fans and putting their customers for want of a better word first um, and I think that you know whatever the motive behind that is whether it's financial or whether it's uh, altruism or, or whether it's morality the fact that they're doing it is a good thing uh, yeah, I'd agree. And and also there's this whole thing about <clears throat> we could suggest that perhaps not ordering everybody to stay in, which is what they've done in Spain and Italy and now France today, um, is a very British thing. But also maybe it's a bit of a dodge for insurance companies not having to pay out suddenly. If- it's 100% that, Kerry. I mean, listen, I, I'm, I, I've been flamed on, on social media for highlighting this. You know, people have been telling me to get back in my box and stay in my lane. But I work in an industry which is... You're a man on- who has no lanes. Well, you know, I work in an industry where... where um, uh, live music is key. It's it's absolutely key, and I think that the venues and the promoters and the artists themselves that basically have been told by the government that people shouldn't go and see them, shouldn't engage with them, not ban them, just recommend that they shouldn't go and see it, means that they can't claim on their insurance, they can't claim business interruption, they can't ask for help or, or, or government subsidies because at the moment this is just a government recommendation and I truly believe you know for my industry particularly but I know it affects a lot of other people who work in the service industries and hospitality industries the government needs to come out and be very clear and give some clear guidance on this either ban it or let them carry on as normal one of the two don't sit in the middle saying well you really probably shouldn't go to the cinema or I really wouldn't recommend you go to a gig that does nobody any favors either tell people not to do it or tell them to keep calm and carry on that's my view on it yeah I, I'd agree I, the, going back to the draconian measure which is I think probably the right way because then essential travel is all it is is essential travel you know people getting home that was the thing in Spain they were allowed to drive down from one from the top of Spain down to the bottom because they lived in Malaga and that was essential travel so they managed to get home my wife and her friends um, you know Jackie now has somewhere to stay with family got a room so that's okay but you know, to go on about draconian measures, which we don't seem to understand here. Um, uh, our cousin over there opened a beach bar on Friday. It oh. was closed down on Saturday. He went to check because he wasn't allowed there. He went to check uh, on Sunday uh, if the food was OK, whether he needed to throw stuff, clear stuff out. And the Guardia Civil and the military collared him and said, this is your first official warning. If you don't go home straight away, you will be arrested and you'll be fined. Um, but this is one of the problems, isn't it, in, in terms of enforcement, if we do this? Who's going to enforce it? We don't have that level of Guardia Civil or, or you know, the French uh, paramilitary police or, or anybody basically with a lot of guns, you know, who's going to go out on the street and enforce this. And, you know, you said today and I said today we were talking earlier about seeing lots of old people still on the street just going about their daily business and you say stopping for a chat going shopping um and it, i just find it staggering that we're not 
making it much, much more clear to them that this isn't a recommendation, it's an order, that you stay inside. Uh, because it, it just seems to me crazy that we are not doing our very best to stop the spread of this, this potentially terrible epidemic um you know i don't know if, you know i'm particularly worried about my mother and my stepfather who has you know cancer at the moment and you know it's it, it's frightening and i basically told them they can't leave the house and i think the government needs to be doing that not me um yeah. and 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 you know i'm very concerned for these elderly people and these people with underlying health conditions i think that we should stop dithering stop thinking about big insurance and, and their problems stop thinking about necessarily about what's going to happen to the economy you know to the expense of everything else and start thinking about people's lives and football plays a major part in that you know it's it's led the way and i'm proud of the way football has dealt with it we we heard today for example that the euros have been called off you know and we're going to see this a lot we're going to see these major sporting events being called off What's interesting is is what's going to fill the vacuum. What's going to fill the vacuum for these, uh, you know, for these major sporting events? Because you said quite rightly earlier on, you know, both of us are huge sports nuts. You know, I'm, you know, I'm hugely into cricket and football. You're into tennis. It's, you know, it's in, you know, we 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 spend a lot of our time engaged with and and uh, and watching and participating in sports. So it's it's going to leave a huge void in my life and your life. What's going to fill it, Kerry? Well, you know, uh, luckily I've got a stack of Nordic dramas all backed up that I've got to watch. Um, but but that's it, you know. I mean, we're, we're in the age of, well, okay, we do have Netflix and things. The, the, the problem will become when the internet breaks. If, if that gets some kind of digital well, coronavirus. In the street then, yeah, mate. yeah, exactly. That's the only thing that's keeping everyone together. But, I mean, it is interesting. You know, Euro 2020 is cancelled. So... We, the test the, match in Sri Lanka is cancelled. You know, yeah. the, the, the F1 is cancelled. The tennis uh, has been cancelled. Everything is cancelled. There is no sport. Well, there, but there is. There's still odd things that are going on. You know, it's only today that the Grand National's been cancelled. And you think, why have certain sports... And racing last week was having huge meets and things. You know, Cheltenham, Cheltenham was yeah. on. You yeah. know, you, you can't tell me that is anything to do with anything other than economics and not worrying about people's health i i I find it you know maybe i'll be proven wrong on this but i I find it extraordinary that certain areas of this world are not responding as quick as they should i mean you know talking about unruly i don't know if you saw in argentina today it's all on lockdown but there was a two kilometer queue to get onto the main beach down south and you just and people are saying what are they doing we're in lockdown not on holiday and this is what people don't understand it's it's for a very specific reason i mean we could talk about mason mount uh you know how silly boy how does he and declan rice you know what is that all about Well, explain to the listeners what that was in case they didn't see it or hear it well, they, they were caught playing a five-a-side game, weren't they? When they were, they were. Well, Chelsea was specifically were meant to be in self-isolation after Callum Hudson Odoi, but uh, the boy had obviously got bored and went out and decided to play football with his mates down the park. Um, I, I find that you know really quite incomprehensible. How the club are not checking up on everybody, because let's face it... Well, what can they do? They can't put ele- electronic tags on them. Well, perhaps they should. I don't know. They're, it's, not, they're not dogs. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, they are, they're, they're, they're adult human beings, young ones and sometimes irresponsible ones, but they're adult human beings. I mean, and, and they're, in, you know, they're employees, essentially. So how, how can they check up on them to that degree? There has to be a level of responsibility with these players. Yes, I mean, it's a young and stupid thing to do. And, you know, Mason Mount's a young player. And, you know, if you think that, you know, he's only... You know, he's you know he's he's only very young, but still, I think there needs to be highlighted. These players have a responsibility. They need to they need to be a little bit better. They need yeah. to be a bit better than everybody else, and and demonstrate what what we need to do, particularly athletes. Like, what if he'd have broken his leg in a five-a-side football <laughs> game with his mates? No, it's true, and and also the the, the thing is, Mason Mount. Everything I've listened to with him in interview and what have you, he seems like a very level-headed kid. He doesn't like seem like a, a wayward soul. And, okay, maybe it was really naive and, and stupid. You know, he just wanted a kick around. He still enjoys his football. But how does it not get impressed on the... And how do they think nobody will ever notice, oh, there's Mason Mount and there's Declan Rice over there? It, yeah. It's bizarre, isn't it? 
it's a bit bizarre. It's a bit bizarre. But you know, I think young people still they don't get they don't get the seriousness of it. I've got a teenage daughter who you know it, it's all so terribly unfair because it's it's messing with her social life. Yeah, but I get that. And, and I get that. That's from... my fault. But it's it's you know it's it's uh, yeah yeah I get it as well. I get I get the kind of you know the incomprehension of why why should I sit in my room you know and not go and see my friends. It's not affecting you know there is that sort of teenage selfishness which is I think part of the genetic makeup of teenagers generally you know that and I'm not saying that Mason Mount's a teenager he's slightly older but but you know amongst young people who think they're they think they're immortal they think they're bulletproof they don't think it, it applies to them you know and I think it's it's all starting to hit home now you know that this is actually really serious I mean she was watching the news with us last night and getting really upset because it is genuinely scary yeah no it, it is and you, you do wonder where this will all end because I really think we're only at the very very beginning of this so we've just got to you know ride it out and and do what's recommended i really wish we we're being told what to do rather than oh it might be best if somebody doesn't do this and somebody else doesn't do that it's yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not so bad for us as well because you know both of us are, you know run our own businesses and, and and we're self-employed and both of us have worked from home for years and years and years and years so, so this isn't particularly odd for us working from home or, or or being at home for long extended periods because that's what we've always done but it's going to be really freaky for a lot of people isn't it yeah, you you would think it, it, you know, a lot of people they spend their lives being away from home, and actually maybe that's going to make it really really difficult for people. You know, it's uh, I don't know, it's 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 a very strange business if you ask me. But mm. we've got to do everything because it's it's a health live or die situation. Is the truth? There's no beating around the bush on it. And you know, but with football. Do you think the authorities acted quick enough or do you think they were desperate to find out and see if this was as serious as people were suggesting and perhaps acted a little too late? I've given this some thought and and, and initially I was a little bit cross that it didn't happen earlier, but I think they were following Public Health England and governmental guidelines. And the government were basically saying we see no immediate risk to life or health through large gatherings, that the uh, cross-contamination or infection rate from these gatherings isn't so significant that we feel we need to shut them. I mean, they were following all that advice. Um, But I think once it started to compromise their own staff and their own players and the safety, I think, of, uh, of fans generally they took that decision. So I, I genuinely think the football authorities acted acted well during this. And do you think moving games to being played behind closed doors was right or wrong? For me, I had a bit of an issue with this because they're saying, oh, it's protecting the, the public, which apparently is a little bit at odds with uh, our government's idea of, you know, you can't really catch it more readily in huge crowds, but I'm not going to get into that. But at the end of the day, you've still got two sets of players and all their contingent um, staff and and everybody who's part of the clubs meeting in one place. So there's still a chance of two separate groups of people mingling on a football pitch for 90 minutes that can still pass it to each other. Okay, it may not be 50,000 people affected, but there's at least... 22 plus all the subs plus all the staff blah 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 people who will be affected which will then increase in the chain and i find it i thought it was really clutching at straws when they started playing games behind closed doors it didn't make sense to me no it seemed it seemed odd at the time i didn't i kind of saw the sense behind it i I wasn't instinctively concerned about it i watched that wolves olympiacos game on the telly and it was very odd and flat and weird um, and I, and I, my my thinking behind it was sort of directed towards what a poor spectacle it was. I hadn't really given much thought to the sort of medical side of it. But you're absolutely right. There's no reason why we should have used those players as guinea pigs uh, during that period, um, particularly when, you know, uh, uh, Wolves had to travel to Greece um, and, you know, Chelsea were looking like they were going to travel to Germany um, and all the inherent risk involved in that. And, yeah, I suppose if you look if you look back on it or reflect on it, it's kind of a dumb idea. But people, were, I think, at that point were sort of learning learning their way through it at the time. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's obviously, I think, reached the right conclusion, which is no football. And, and that makes sense. You know, I, I found the weirdest thing was the not shaking hands at the Premier League games. I thought that I thought that was odd because 
all right, don't shake hands, that sends out a very strong message. But as soon as the game starts, your hands are all over the ball with throw-ins, you're all over each other with contact, you're helping each other up, kissing each other when you score a goal, you're hugging at the end and shaking hands. doesn't make any sense. No. That's what I thought. You know. Um, so, so, yes, you're absolutely right. It, it's all a bit odd and crazy. And, and uh, I, But I think we've got to the right place with it now, which is to, to stop it until we've got some clarity on where we're going to go with it. Well, as you, as you say, Euro 2020 has been cancelled. Uh, there is talk that this then allows the leagues to finish their games. Um, if that doesn't happen, and judging by what people are saying, this could take months, not just weeks to sort out. So that's possibly a non-starter. Well, it, at the moment, we, we're on suspension until the weekend of April 3rd. But we know that it's going to be extended from that. The peak of this thing isn't predicted according to the latest modelling and data, to be until late May, early June. That's the peak. And then we're going to have some period after that where there's going to be a, a sense of adjustment and, and, and whether you know, it's safe to, to, to resume large gatherings. So I'm not seeing anything happening before July, really, really. I mean, and even then I think we're looking at four to six months. So it's an absolute... It's an absolute mess, and I wouldn't want to be the person that has to try and sort it out. I know that the leagues are meeting today, um, that they're trying to come up with a, a, a metric that will work. Obviously, the integrity of all these leagues is compromised if they can't finish the season. And there were lots of ideas, weren't there? Like, we only, we only play each other once, um, but who gets home advantage? Um, we give Liverpool the title, but then what happens to all the relegation sides? What happens to those three sides that go down? And, and perhaps more importantly, with those three sides that come up? Uh, you know, for example, like Aston Villa have a game in hand, so if they'd won that game in hand, they'd be out of the relegation zone. Those three sides coming up uh, would stand to make millions and millions. Those three sides going down stand to lose millions and millions. So there's a huge amount of litigation coming around the corner from affected, from individually affected clubs. Because let's be honest, nobody's going to go, I'm going to do this for the greater good if it means them going out of business or it means them not making money. So we're going to be tied up in legal argument for, for a very long time. And for me, I can't see any any way around it somebody even suggested that we you know that we 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 simulate it you know we put it through a computer and simulate what would happen and then trust that we have a pools panel who agree it you know i've I've looked at all these things and none of them work none of them work at all it's an absolute mess what do you think well i really like one idea which was no one gets relegated from the premier league uh and the two top teams come up and we have an expanded premier league next year but what about Uh, the teams in the playoff positions it's a bit more variable, so I, I think they're the ones who possibly suffer. Okay. Um, but so they're collateral? Yeah, they are. There's going to be collateral somewhere. There's collateral everywhere. Do you in give the league to Liverpool? <laughs> oh, yes. Because <laughs> Man City would argue they still have to win two more games. Theoretically, they could lose all those games and Man City could win. I know they could, but I think, yeah, I mean, would you give it? I would. I don't think you can make it... Well, maybe you can make it null and void. Maybe that's what if has to happen. If you make it null and void, you are basically saying the season didn't happen. Yeah? And it did. And it, Well, no, but you agree with uh, that yeah, if, if you okay. null and void it, right? So, that, so the season didn't happen, which means that you would have to use last year's league table to work out who the Champions League places are, right? Okay. And we wouldn't be in it. Well, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I would think, well, if you do make it null and I mean, maybe you gave it to Liverpool, but asterisked it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh, it's, it's so difficult, isn't it? Non-completed I mean, season, in brackets. <laughs> you know, it, it is. It's a horrific situation. Because how many games have we all got left to play? It's like um, 12 well, we played, or something. I think, 73, 74% of the season. Yeah, so it's still a quarter of the season to go. Yeah. It, that's a lot. You know, that's is. 10 or 12 games. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, how they sort this one out, I don't know. It could be the end of football as we know it. That's another thing. You could have, who knows, you could have teams going on strike, refusing to play anymore in this league. You could have breakaway leagues. You could have all sorts of things could happen i don't think as you There's say nine games left to play nine games uh, you mm. know well okay if you play twice a week that's still five six weeks that you need mm. plus the european competitions plus the cup competitions i presume well, I you think would have they, to... would, they would cancel those 
Yeah, I, I think so. Would they? I doubt whether they cancel the Champions League though. Which means we still got to go and get a dropping at Bayern Munich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, we're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. That might be our only chance of any level of silverware. So. Yeah. So um, no, it, it, there's no winners. Nobody can win in this. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to be collateral damage. Yeah, I'm um, afraid it's true. You know, they're, they're, it's 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 going to be difficult. I mean, I, I've I've looked at it and looked at it, and and I I can't see. I think your idea of expand the league for next season and allow those teams to do it. But does that mean then that you divide the money up pro rata? I think you just have to do it fairly, yeah. Yeah, so you basically say we're going to split the money 20 ways rather than 18 ways? Yeah. Yeah. So, And what uh, happens to the broadcasters? Because apparently the broadcasters, Sky now has Sky, BT, the other broadcasters, Amazon, whoever it is, have paid for £480 million worth of football that hasn't yet been played. It's almost well, half a billion quid. Did, what, did they get that money back? Has that come out of the clubs? No. What, what, how does that work? It can't. Is that just force majeure? Is it insurance? I mean, what, you know, what, 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 what is it? I, I would have thought that has to be insurance, doesn't it? Or we all just start again and we all go, hey, look, we're all still alive. Do we get um, our money back for, for subscription services on Sky Sports? Do we Don't get know. money back for our season tickets? Don't know. Uh, look, These are know, questions, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they are. They are. Um, personally, as for season ticket money, no, keep it, Chelsea, because I know you're a very poor outfit. And <laughs> <laughs> you need it more than you me. Need, yeah, you exactly. need to pay Danny Drinkwater's wages. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And all his troublesome arguments with people, that means he has to keep on moving on. Zappa um, Costa needs that new Bentley, so, mate, you keep it. Yeah, exactly. See, that that that's what I'm talking about. I I don't know. I I guess if they said, "Hey, look, what should we do?" I presume they'll take something off next season's season ticket. Maybe they won't. You know, what maybe happens on June thirtieth? What happens then? All the players' contracts end. Oh, that <laughs> that that is when it becomes. I guess. Maybe there's something in force majeure about this. If they, sorry to interrupt. What about if they if they carry the season on after June the thirtieth, and we have new players? So we have Zayek, yeah, from who's our new player. Can he play in the remaining games because he's a Chelsea player now? I would think there'll be uh, an almighty argument if they don't get this sorted out. And I presume, <laughs> thinking thinking on my feet, I mean, it's a brilliant thought but i presume what they will do is they will all agree and this is where they'll have fun with the agents that everything gets shifted and there'll be a ripple effect on contracts if you can do such a thing it would mean everyone has to play ball that would be the fairest way of doing it so that in effect we wind the clock back and pretend we are still in march as it were whenever we start and contracts move forward that would seem like the fairest way to me it would not seem fair if any club could bring in new players or players say no i'm no longer under contract i want to move i think that's but when you would about, have anarchy. okay I, I get that that makes sense on, on, on the surface but what about a player <laughs> that a club wants to get off the books do they have to still keep playing paying them 100 grand 200 grand a week after june the 30th Yes, I think a ripple effect has to go across the board for it to work. That's the only way it can work. It's a nightmare. Yeah, it is. Total nightmare. Yeah, because we live in the age of legalities and litigation. You know, we've, we're not as good at it as the Americans. The Americans, I mean, God knows what will happen with all their sport over there. There'll be everyone in court every two seconds, I would have thought. Well, it's interesting, uh, isn't it? NBA has already been called off, and I would imagine, you know, baseball's probably going to, well, start, start going into pre-season fairly soon. Be interesting to see what happens with that. Obviously, so, the American football's over for the season, so it's uh, yeah. It, I mean, they're the three major sports over there, but then you've got hockey, and then you've got all the minority sports as well. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's around the world. I mean, yeah. F one. I mean, well, Formula One. I mean, how much money's involved in that? Cancelling the Australian Grand Prix. I mean, yeah, but you have to say, Lewis Hamilton. What a star that man is. I, I love Lewis Hamilton. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of working with him a couple of years ago. Found him really charming, really level-headed, thoughtful. Him coming out and in that press conference going, everyone's going, hey, it's great, here we are at the start of the season. And he just said, I have no idea why we are all here in the same room. And he was actually totally spot on. Suddenly there was a case the very next, same day and then there was another one and he was absolutely right the, 
what we are seeing is finally the world getting its own back on money. And it's going, you know what, you can have all the money in the world and you can say this is going to happen, but you know what, you can't do it this time. And that is how it's panning out, isn't it? Economically, everyone's taking a hit because it can't just say, let's not worry about this. We'll just carry on regardless. We Mm. can't do it with this. Mm. So, you know, we'll we'll see. There's been so many little odd stories appearing. I don't know if you saw the one from Barnet today, um, where the club's owner, Tony Clinthouse, mm. strange name, um, said that he was laying 60 employees off. Um, and he, he basically said that because players' contracts are protected in football and cannot be terminated early, um, it's the employees, who are the general employees, who are the vulnerable people. And now there's no money coming in. He's getting everyone off the books. Mm. Um, I, I, that seems like pretty stringent behaviour when we don't quite know what the insur- insurance situation will be in any of these situations. Well, and also it contrasts markedly with some other clubs. I mean, Brighton Hove Albion have said that they are going to pay their 600 regular casual staff who work on match days. Um, and, uh, you know, the chairman has said that he agreed the, the measure with the club's board of directors during an emergency conference call. And he said, we've had to cancel their work at really short notice. And we know that their work and pay is really important. We've taken the decision as a club to continue paying the vast majority of our match day staff for the remainder of the season, whether or not we play the five remaining Premier League games. We feel it's really important whether we play the games in a full stadium, behind closed doors or at all. We want those staff to know they've got their pay coming to them. That's a small thing we can do. The vast majority of people we employ are local people, so it's important we support them at a difficult time. I mean, how brilliant is that in comparison to a a club owner who saw an opportunity to to get these people off his books as soon as he could? Uh, It's class, you know, and hats off to Brighton. And let's not forget, they're one of those that, uh, uh, you know, could be brushed with the relegation battle uh, when they all come back. So, yeah, good luck to him. I, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And that's what we need to see more in this day and age, is, is a little bit more humanity to people, a little bit more compassion, because, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, billions have been wiped off the stock market. Oh, this has happened. This company's in big trouble. Well, you know what? It's the people in the streets, the people who are normal people who have everyday jobs going around their business, who are going to be absolutely destroyed in so many ways by the people above them. And that's why Brighton, you know, hats off to you. I I think that's one of the classiest things I've heard this week. Yeah, me too. You know, hats off to to Brighton, as you say. I think it's really important that that major football clubs, particularly those football clubs that are in a community like Brighton, um, that, that they behave well during this period because I genuinely think that people remember they remember how clubs acted during you know difficult times easy to be magnanimous and have these community programs and 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 you know to to talk about you know what what a part you play in the local community when things are good when the money's coming in you know when you're when you're living off the fat of the land when things get really tough that that's when people look to you for guidance and support and and leadership and I think that football clubs play play a major part uh, in that as I say particularly those clubs that are embedded in the community so paying suppliers making sure you, you, you keep your staff close to you and, and, and paid and supported, making sure that what, what you can do for the local community in terms of your facilities and your, your resources, all of that stuff is really important. Football can play a really, really big part in that, and I hope it does. No, I agree. Well, well, look, um, we normally have uh, Naz Kinsella uh, doing his roundup from behind the scenes. Um, but this week I asked him, I said, look, I know you're not, doing anything there's no football to report on why don't you just let us know how things are going for you and um because everyone forgets all these journalists sports journalists everyone say oh what a fantastic job well we're in a world where there are sports journalists without any sports to report on all they can do is historical things or archived interviews and expand on them so i i hope things are working out for naz and and also as well i think it's important to point out that yes they've got nothing a lot of them are freelance as well Yes, a lot of them. If they don't work, they don't get paid, 
Um, and so, so it's important to note that uh, you know all that stuff that we read all over social media, and newspapers, and other forms and platforms and medias uh, that we that we use every day has to be written by someone. And whilst we can vehemently disagree with it and and abuse them and 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 sneer at them sometimes and take them to task, they do a very very important job in terms of reporting on the game for us and giving us information. So our thoughts our thoughts are with those guys. Uh, and women who who are working in that industry whose income and whose immediate future is uncertain at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Well, here is Naz with his little roundup of what's been going on for him. Hi, guys. This is Nizar Kinsella, Goals Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Uh, usually I do these things from a football stadium um, or, you know, just after a game, after going into the dressing rooms and, and speaking to a player or, or being in the press conferences, speaking to the manager, um, tasting the atmosphere, going to games. But this week we had a game postponed, Aston Villa. Um, and, and now, you know, Bayern Munich, I should be in Munich right now, getting ready for the game, uh, maybe having a sneaky pilsner before going to the press conference and, uh, and doing my work. So, yeah, unfortunately, that is off and football has ground to a halt and, and the sort of side effects of that, which is probably not the biggest deal of all time, is that uh, there's a lot of journalists scrambling around to uh, explain this coronavirus situation that's caused it, really. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely probably the strangest professional moment of my life uh, to be to be doing this right now. Um, but, yeah, we're um, trying to explain the world. We're trying to explain why football's not going on, when it might go on again. Um, to be honest, we're waiting for government advice, World Health Organization, seeing the trends of the outbreak, the pandemic, and seeing when it might stop. But, uh, yeah, I guess it's a wider issue uh, that's beyond football. But in the meantime, we've seen you know the Premier League postponed, Champions League postponed, Euro 2020 now postponed. Um, so, yeah, let's see when we can play football again. Um, there's a return date in the diary, but, you know, I don't think April 3rd is realistic. I think it's going to be... Much, much later, but, you know, it's one of those things that we try to get on with it and adjust. So, so yeah, working life of a journalist right now. Uh, well, I'm working from home. All all of our London-based um, uh, people uh, at Gold.com, we're, we're working from home right now. Um, you know, the rest of the country's reacting accordingly in different ways. Um, but, yeah, we're working from home. We're trying to find stories, trying to talk to people. I must have messaged about uh, 100 people. I've been on the phone a lot. I've been on WhatsApp a lot. Um, just find out things, seeing the general picture of what's going on. Of course, um, you know, trying to monitor a coronavirus situation. Um, Mason Mount played uh, played on a five-a-side pitch when he probably shouldn't have done. So he, we wrote about that. Um, you know, he's he's uh, you know been reminded of his responsibilities by Chelsea, a young lad who made a mistake. Um, but I can kind of sympathise with that as well. You want to get out, you want to do stuff. My own five-a-side games have been cancelled. So yeah, sad times. I get the feeling. Um, so so yeah, that's that's the kind of situation we're working. Um, there's a bit of business going on behind the scenes. Chelsea trying to uh, tie up Tino Andrian's contracts and Tammy Abraham's contracts as well. Um, in terms of transfers, they will be working on it, but only up to a point because you need to see where the where the football pyramid is going to go, where the scheduling is going to go. Because uh, what are they signing a player for? Are they signing them to finish this season now or or for the for the next season? Um, so yeah. A lot's going on. Uh, we don't really know where it's going to end up, but still, there's a bit of activity in football, but not a lot, and, and that's something we're going to have to get to grips with uh, in the next few weeks. But, yeah, stay safe, everyone. Well, thanks, Naz. Um, you know, it, it is a sobering time for everybody, and it's it's a, it's a curious time. We're, we're in uncharted waters, and we really don't have a, a clue as to where this is all going to end up. But... Um, how do you see what could potentially happen, say, with next season? How do, how do we think we'll respond to, to football being back again? Because we know this is going to be possibly truncated or destroyed. Um, it's also going to affect the whole transfer market in the summer because people will still be playing in the period where either A, they're meant to be playing internationals, B, resting, or C, working on transfers. It, it, could, it could be that Frank ends up with another season without the possibility of getting the transfers he wants. Well, there's a bunch of questions in there, isn't there? Yeah, um, there is. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think that the... Uh, well, don't apologise. It's just, a, just an interesting bunch of questions. I just think that the, the first thing is, what's football going to be like when it comes back? 
I think we're by by the time it comes back, we're going to be so desperate for it. We're going to be so welcoming of it and and pleased to have it back. We it might actually usher in a golden age of support. I genuinely think that. I think that you know we've been critical recently of atmospheres within stadiums, of atmospheres within Stamford Bridge, of people coming along and it just being. You know something that that they tick off their list, or they 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 do in the same way they go to theatre or they or, or any other leisure activity. I think people will realise when football isn't there how important it is to them and how important it is to their lives. And I think that there will be a really fantastic response to football coming back. Uh, so that's what I hope that it it will it will bring us closer together, that it will increase the atmosphere, and that there will be an outpouring of. Um, of of delight that it's back. So that's that question. In terms of the, um, you know, the, the, what shape it's going to be. Well, it will be in a different shape. There's there's no two ways about it. I don't think either of us or anybody is qualified um, to say what that shape's going to be. But it has to be different. Whether that's different size leagues or different uh, times of the year that we're playing or different competitions being. Uh, postponed or cancelled it's going to be different so we don't know as far as the transfers are concerned there's no reason why those conversations can't be going on uh there are you know the the the, um the club still have the ability to talk to each other uh there's still the ability to move money around there's no reason why 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 the transfer conversations shouldn't be going on the dates may change but the conversations and the contractual talks and the movement of money won't change so uh, as far as i can see i don't think there'll be too much of an issue over that okay it it is interesting i mean i think maybe we all need time without football and not just the normal layoff to have it actually ripped from your eyes and your vision and your grasp is it's kind of one of the strangest things that you can ever imagine this time of year there's no football in the world what am i going to do at weekends kerry (laughs) what am i I going to do you'll get up to strange man things in your shed um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, but you know, it kind I've of. Watched the Wire. You know, I've watched the Sopranos. <laughs> what am I going to do? Watch them backwards. Watch yeah. them from the end. I wonder how that works. So that you it goes go back, back to what we were time. saying earlier on, weren't we? About about the void, the void that sports leaves, and and hopefully it will make us appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, as as Joni Mitchell said in Big Yellow Taxi, you don't you know don't what you've know got till it's gone. Till it's gone. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I, I that will that will always stay with me that sentiment, and you know that's where we are with things. Okay, well look, we should have a little break for an advert and a commercial. So here we go. I'm Josh Schneider-Weiler. And I'm John McKenzie. We know that the football news cycle never slows down. But sometimes, don't you wish it did? (laughs) On the Football Today podcast, we give you in-depth analysis of the most interesting stories from around the world of football. And hear from the most knowledgeable journalists in the game. You can listen to each episode in the time it takes for a single commute. So join us now and subscribe to Football Today wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, I, the the one thing I, I would say that I've enjoyed over this this uh, new format of ours is our talking to me. Well, yeah, always, you know, um, is our first worst and best Chelsea games. I want to ask you on the spot: Do you know what yours are, or do you, would you have to think about it? I'd have to think about it. I haven't given it any thought. Okay, what's your first one? Liverpool. Liverpool. Which one? Uh, Nineteen seventy-three. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, we lost, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I can't, honestly, I was thinking about it the other day, but it's very murky and clouded because I went to a couple of games around that time and I can't quite, I need to go back and have a real think about what it, what it actually was. My first ever game, ever football game was, I think I've said this before, was Sunderland versus Orient because my granddad was a Sunderland fan. And we lived in East London, and he used to take me to Orient whenever Sunderland came down. So they were my first games because I lived I lived in Australia until I was until the early seventies, and we emigrated to Australia for a few years. So I came back in the early seventies, and so it was definitely Liverpool. But I can't quite remember the game. Um, my best game, 
you know, I haven't thought about it, Kerry. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? I, well, I, I sort of haven't. I sort of haven't. I think it I would be think... Napoli. I think it would be the Napoli game. Yeah. Uh, in, the cha- in the year that we won the Champions League. I just love that game. It was just so intense. Um, and you know, I remember almost, almost every element of that game. I just think it was just against the odds. It was a bit like that whole Champions League run. It was against the odds. You know, that, the Barcelona game, the final. I mean, they were just all astonishing games, weren't they? I mean, it was just fantastic. Yeah, we, a little bit obvious, maybe. My yeah, worst game, I think probably the game where Iniesta scored against us in the last second to knock us out of the Champions League. You know, that's probably my worst game. I have to give it some thought and come up with something a little bit more. No, absolutely. A little, I think, a little bit else. What about you? Uh, worst games are the easiest because I, I can remember Millwall in the cup with you when you were trying to batter everyone with your bike helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, no, I think genuinely my worst one was... Uh, Chelsea versus Stoke City in the 72 League Cup final. Um, and that was my first ever big, big, big game. I've been to Chelsea as a season ticket holder, um, but didn't understand that you could have these huge games and you might not win. And that I, I, I'll never forget that the whole thing. I, I remember having the programme. I've never been able to look at that programme since. Um, I, I can't even remember it now, but I just remember, I think it was yellow and green or something. I can't remember. It, it's the most hated object in the world to me. I cannot look at that whenever I, I've seen it on eBay and things. And it just makes me shudder because not only did we lose, we lost to a team that had like an 83 year old man in it. George mm. Eastham, who mm. had like a blinder that day. And I, I remember uh, there was a bloke, Terry Conroy. There's these names that just make me feel physically ill. And I had no idea that football could actually do that to you. It was just the most depressing day. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like a rite of passage in a way, isn't it? You know, that, that discovery that your team that you love can also completely mess it up and screw you up. We, there, it, was, it was one of those classic games where nobody gave Stoke a, a hope of doing anything. And, you know, the mighty debonair Chelsea team was going to destroy them. And it just wasn't like that. And it was a so good you're actually lesson. doing your first worst best now, aren't you, in great detail? Well, well, I hadn't thought about it. It just, it just suddenly came to me when I, we were chatting about it, and yeah. you know, it, it it is one of those things. But well, look, we we should actually um, get one of our listeners because we, we have. Can I just say also thanks to everyone who responded to our our message on Twitter last week for you to send in your first, worst, and best. Um, we got an amazing response, didn't we, Andy? Yeah, we did. It was amazing, and and thank you so much for that. And it's uh, it's it's heartwarming that people like the uh, the feature and that they've uh, spent the time to send it in. We have actually got a, a lot of them now, so probably we need to put a pause on that just for the time being because we don't want you to do it and then not play it. So um, you know, we'll let you know when we need some more. But we've got some really good ones lined up. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, this one is from uh, Paul Allen, who's the chief executive of Vibrance, which uh, is, is a charity. You can go and check them out uh, called vibrance.org.uk. Wonderful work they do, work with all sorts of people. Go and have a look at the website. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, Andy, um, but th- he's, a, he's a, a top guy. And it's a really, really top first, uh, worst and best Chelsea games. So here here is Paul Allen. Hi, I'm Paul Allen, and it's my pleasure to share my first best and worst Chelsea matches with the Chelsea podcast. My first match was back in September 1969. I lived in Walthamstow at the time, so in the playground it was mainly Spurs, Arsenal, West Ham fans with a few Orient fans thrown in. But me and my mate Mick, we wanted to be a bit different than travelling across to Fulham Ballway. It was a bit of an adventure. We'd get there hours before kick-off, as uh, soon as the gate opened, we'd charge up the cobbled entranceway into the shed so we could get a place in front of the crash barrier so when the fans pushed down, we didn't get hurt. Um, the match was uh, against Wolves. Uh, Chelsea went 2-0 up through Dempsey and Osgood. Wolves came back to equalise. Um, I read a review of the match quite recently and it described Osgood's goal as a masterpiece. So even though I can't remember it, it's still a lovely memory. 
The worst? Well, uh, over 50 years, there's plenty to choose from, but I've gone for the Milk Cup semi-final first leg in February 1985 away to Sunderland. Travelled up there on the club coach. The coach was stopped on the motorway by the police deliberately to keep the fans back. Got near to Roker Park, traffic jam, so we had to get out of the coach and run to the ground. Eventually got into the ground 20 minutes after the match kicked off. No sooner did we get there than Dal Jasper gave away a penalty, 1-0 down. In the second half, he gave away another penalty. And before we could turn around, the whistle went and we'd lost 2-0. And we had that long, awful journey back home down to London in the early hours. Terrible match. And of course, the second leg was infamous for Clive Walker's two goals for Sunderland, which sparked that awful pitch invasion. My best match, well, I've been lucky to be at all the significant matches, all the finals, all the matches where we've won premierships. But I've gone for a match in the second division back in May 1984, away to Grimsby. For those fans who are long in the tooth, you'll remember that in 1983 we'd nearly been relegated down to Division 3. And in the summer, John Neal brought in Kerry Dixon and Spackman, Eddie Nizvesky, Joe McLaughlin and Pat Nevin. And it was just a wonderful season, a winning season, winning almost every match. And me and my pal Mick travelled to most of the away matches in a 2CV. Now, the week before, we'd clinched promotion to Division 1, winning at home to Barnsley. Uh, and this match away to Grimsby, we had the potential to win the second division championship, beating Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, again, we travelled up on the train and the train was deliberately held up. Um, but we got into the ground, missed the kickoff, but we got in in time to see Dixon's wonderful headed goal and Nevin's missed penalty. We won the match 1-0, fantastic celebrations, thousands of Chelsea fans there, uh, and we won the second division championship, uh, pipped Sheffield Wednesday on goal difference, wonderful memories. Oh, there's names in there. Oh, yeah. oh God, Clive Walker scoring twice for Sunderland. Oh, my God. <laughs> the name Dale Jasper, I completely not heard that name for years. It is memories, isn't it? All these sort of things, they they just provoke instant replays in your mind. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's wonderful to get you know people's memories like that. It does. It takes you back to a you know to 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 a different time, really. Particularly with some of our older listeners who who were you know dragging games up from the very depths of memories. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's brilliant, you know. Grimsby away. I mean, you know, listen to this, you young, if we have younger listeners, I hope we do, but Grimsby away. Can younger Chelsea fans even comprehend the fact that we used to go to places like Grimsby away? No disrespect, Grimsby, but, you know, we now have a lot of younger fans who expect us to be going to Munich or Barcelona. There was a time. There was a time. Well, it was, was a dark up time. While we were talking and while, while Paul was doing his thing about in, in the 1973-1974 season, and and Chelsea lost to Liverpool uh, 1-0 on the 29th of December. And that day, I think, was my first game. Um, I remember us losing to Liverpool. But, yeah, around, so it was around Christmas time. But, yeah, so I think it, I think it must have been that game. Don't remember yeah. anything of it. Ah, memories. That's what football provides. Every week, a new memory. But yeah. the memory seven, for the... So. Yeah, well, you know, the, there are no memories coming up, if mm. you know what I mean. We're, you know, we're going to be in a, a memoryless... Uh, period now so it, although we'll have the memory of the the non-memory <laughs> i guess if you know what i mean yeah but it uh, is interesting though isn't it that, that everything in the sort of in the modern age is now accessible at the touch of a you know a keyboard um, button you know that you could go to youtube or you could go to you know some incredible database somewhere straight away and just find out you know what the game was and a match report and stats and everything else and you know, then it just took me a little while to kind of like, you know, find a database that had the 73, 74 season, look through it and find that game. And it's, it's you know, we're going to rely, I think, uh, a lot on people's memories, on, 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 on people's recollections of those games. You know, so this is a, it's a really interesting exercise. Yeah, it is. Well, look, um, we're pretty much out of time now. Um, I really hope this has been... Uh, you know, I don't know if fun's the right word. It's been an enjoyable time with us. You know, we are Chelsea through and through, but we are all of us football through and through. And I think uh, that's the thing we all have to remember. You know, this is for 
the health and wealth of everybody, and I mean wealth in, in the health terms. But, you know, we will get our football back at some point. And, you know, we've got some hard yards to do. But if we all stick at it, um, you know, maybe we'll get even more of a sense of community going between people and we can find compassion to, to keep an eye out for everyone around us. Um, Andy, um, I don't know if you've, you've got any last thoughts. Yes. Well, I, I was. <laughs> no, here is my predictions. What date will the football start again? That's my prediction oh, time. Yeah. I think well, it'll be a, be a while off in the future, and I wouldn't want to predict it because I have absolutely no idea. Okay, you know what? For the first time since we've been doing predictions, I'm going to let you get away with not making a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, well look, time's up. Um, thank you, Naz. Thank you, Paul. Uh, thank you, everyone who listens. Um, I'm not sure how the next few weeks will pan out. Let us know what you think of this. All the people who, who talk to us on Twitter, keep on chatting. Let's keep going. Let's keep strong. Let's keep blue. All right, Andy, thanks as, as ever for, for being here. Speak to you soon, mate. All right, take it easy. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.